A bus that wanders the streets of Philadelphia, but only picks up those who really need its help. And then we take a look at one of the first cases of cattle mutilation in American history. Did a rancher named Alexander Hamilton actually see an airship abduct a cow right in front of him, only to dispose of the carcass the next day? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm still on vacation. I'm still using my travel mic here. Seems to be doing pretty good. But yeah, I I pretty much just slept today. I've been thinking, oh dude, when I'm on vacation, I'm going to do so much research. I'm going to get so much stuff done. Really just been sleeping and playing Mad Max. The video game Mad Max, which is pretty cool. I like beat-em-up games. There's not many of them out there. But I'll wake up, I'll play Mad Max for a couple hours, and I'll be like, okay, now I'm tired, I'm going to go back to sleep. And when I wake up, I'll do the show, I'll do so much reading for the show. And then I usually wake up, eat lunch, and take another nap. I don't like being this unproductive. I like being a productive person. But tomorrow, tomorrow I'll get so much research done for the show, dude, so much. But that being said, I do got two great stories for you today. The first story is a really interesting one, and... I'm going to take you along the path that I took when I found it. So let's go ahead and hop on board the Carpenter Copter because we're going to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Is the new season coming out? I usually had new episodes ready to watch with my brothers before I came out here. I guess they're taking like a year and a half off now. Anyways, let's hop on board the Carpenter Copter flying over to Philadelphia. And we have to land. We can't enjoy this story from the air. We have to kind of get down. So we land. We're walking on the streets of Philadelphia. Now, hopefully you're depressed or I'm depressed. One of us needs to be depressed, which is a sad state of affairs. But we're sitting there. It's late at night. We're in downtown Philadelphia. We're both just like, hmm, little storm clouds over our heads. Depressed. Sad. Neither of us know what is coming next in our life. And that's when we look down the street and we see a bus. It looks like every other bus out in Philadelphia. But instead of on the sign, on the electric sign that shows where the bus is headed, it just says SEPTA, which is the name of the bus organization down there. It's like Southeast Philadelphia Transit Authority or something like that. I don't know. I just pulled that out of my head. So I'll be shocked. It's probably fairly close. But anyway, so SEPTA is like the bus organization down there. Now, we kind of look at each other and go, hmm. Now, we're new to Philadelphia, but we, we think it's weird that the bus doesn't list where it's going. We have that much knowledge. And then we wait for the bus to come to us, and it just sits at the corner there idling. Cold, Philly winds wrap around us. And then we have to stand up, and we start walking towards the bus. The bus just sits there. But we feel if we don't get to the bus in time... We're going to miss our chance. So we begin running through this empty street in Philadelphia. And finally, we reach the bus. The doors slide open. We step on board. And we see the bus driver. He's just sitting there, cap pulled down over his eyes, kind of staring ahead. We assume. We can't see his eyes. He's looking ahead. Cap pulled down over his eyes. And he kind of motions to us to pay. But if you can't pay... You get the feeling it'll be okay. This bus ride is still for you. And then we just take a seat 
sit down on the bus. We look around. There's a lot of people on the bus. All of them look depressed. All of them look lost. And the bus just... I don't know what sound effect that was. It's lost in the bubblegum factory, apparently. The bus begins to drive off into the depths of the city of Philadelphia. I think we need to take it to the maintenance shop. So here's the, this is where this story comes from. This is an urban legend in Philadelphia right now. And pretty much what I said, you'll see a bus when you're down on your luck, when you think that you can't go any further, you can always go downtown. Is that the song? When you're No, that's when you're feeling alone and there's nowhere to go. You can always go downtown. That's that song, right? It's not if you're if you're horribly depressed and you don't know what's next, you can always I think that should be a remix. I think it should just be about a guy at the end of his rope trying to figure out, oh my god, my wife left me, my dog's dead. Let's go downtown. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so anyways, anyways. Now the song's stuck in my head, and hopefully it's stuck in yours too. That'll make you more depressed. Anyway, so the story is this bus in Philadelphia. When you're down on your luck, you'll see it. It will never come to you. You ha- you see it, but you have to run to get on it. And when you get on it, pretty much what I said, and it's full of people. And the story is this. The bus will drive you around the city for an indeterminate amount of time. but and it you can't get off when you want to. It will drop you off when and where you're supposed to get off. And where you get off is where you can start getting your life back together again. They say when you get off the bus, you have a vague recollection of seeing other people on the bus. And you go, that was weird. I was on the bus and there was like a politician on there. There's a couple hobos. And even though you may recognize them on the bus, when you get off the bus, you just have vague recollections. You could never name anyone you actually saw on the bus. The legend goes that some people never get off the bus. That they just stay on the bus for the rest of the time. And there's even stories that if you stay on the bus long enough, you'll be dropped back off where you got on, but back in time before your troubles even began. Some say that there's a bus like this in every major city in the world, but people don't notice it because it's not the bus they're looking for. And these buses just glide through the streets trying to help people find the answer that they're looking for. Find a new beginning. Find some peace. Now, it's interesting. So I read about that. I was looking up on urban legends, different urban legends around America. I came across that and I was like, this is gold. Like, this is such a great story. And I do what I normally do. I start clicking on links and start investigating all this stuff. And what I found out was, this is so interesting, there's a ton of websites that list this as an urban legend in the city of Philadelphia. But what it actually is, it's a short story. It's a short story on this guy's blog, it's about one page long, pretty much entails everything that I told you. And that's it. What? And you're like, well, Jason, thanks for for Jason's fiction corner, but this is what's interesting about this. Think about it. When I told you that story, I'll bet you anything you have the same feeling hearing it that I did reading it. It is so, I don't want to say like realistic. I mean, assuming that in the world of paranormal, this is something that one, rings true. Two, sounds incredibly comforting. It's it's a very cozy urban legend. And I remember reading it and thinking, that's a beautiful urban legend. Like, that's a beautiful, kind of creepy story. But like, no one gets trapped. 
It's something that's totally beneficial. And because we get lost in the hustle and bustle of the city, whether it's a major metropolis or just a small burg, you get used to all the sights and sounds and everything in your particular area. And the idea of something kind of roaming the streets and you never noticing it, but if you needed it, it would be there. It's a very comforting thought. And the guy who wrote this wrote it as a short story, The Wandering Bus of Philadelphia. But I think the reason why so many people have latched onto it as being some sort of true story is because it's oddly compelling and oddly believable. We want to believe it, at least. I did. I definitely think that this has transcended the short story. It'll always be remembered now as the urban legend. Which, you know, kudos to the author. I didn't write his name down, but kudos to the author for writing that because that it will now become part of Philadelphia legend. Kids will tell that, maybe not kids, because I don't think it really appeals to young people, but people in their 20s and older, they can, they can appreciate that type of thing. A, an ability to either go back in time before your troubles began, or if not that dramatic, just be when life feels like you don't know where to go downtown, when life feels like you're in a dead end and you don't know what's coming up next and you feel powerless, there's a universal power out there to help guide you to where you're supposed to go, where fate wants you to. Very, very compelling story. And again, touches on that thing where I love it when we can find an urban legend to find out where it started. This story will be... Re- this I don't see this urban legend going away anytime soon. I only see it growing, actually. And I would imagine in the next couple years, the author being like, well, you know, there's a hint of truth. Like, I could see that happening. Because it does sound real, and it sounds comforting. And it sounds like a paranormal event you would actually want to have happen in your neighborhood. As opposed to most of them, which are just ghosts kicking in your windows and stuff like that. I guess most ghosts don't kick in your windows. Maybe you lived in a bad neighborhood. Actually, that's a good question. What about like people who are like drug dealers who are shot in the street? Do their ghosts continue to sell drugs and like break into cars and stuff like that? What if a good maybe 3% of all random vandalism in cities is attributed to ghosts tagging, tagging buildings and stuff? I wonder if you spray painted a ghost if you'd be able to see him. I wonder if basically they work on Little Rascal's physics. You throw a blanket over him and you see a ghost. Anyways, anyway, I was, I'm not going to do a whole segment on this, but I was reading the news recently. I guess some idiots out on the East Coast have figured out that if you, if you, I don't know if you smoke it or inhale it or, or turn it into some sort of powder, but people have been ingesting wasp spray to get high. And the, I've read a couple articles about it, and the, they have the same quote from like some, med, some official, some government official saying, you can do you can do wasp spray once or twice, and you'll be fine. But when you do it the third time, you'll have an allergic reaction and you might die. And I guess a couple people, the first, I read about it a couple days ago, and they were like, "Yeah, dude, it's a crazy new thing. Kids are smoking or doing wasp spray. I can't even say that word right. There's no wasps. I can't say a, is there is a singular right wasp, wasp. Okay, wasp spray. Kids are doing wasp." <laughs> Whatever. Everyone's looking at this official trying to give a press conference. He totally pauses and he's like, can I say it's singular? Is there a one? Everyone, reporters just standing there with their cameras. And finally he gets on with it. You can do it once or twice, but the third time it'll kill you. And the first time I saw it was people were doing it. And then just today I was reading on Judge Report that three people have died from using wasp spray as as, as a meth alternative. Apparently 
it like amps you up and causes your hands and feet to swell. And I'm like, known a lot of meth addicts. <laughs> I don't remember them having gigantic hands and feet. Okay, so that that's I'm not going to do a full story on that. I and and part of me thinks it might not be true. Part of me thinks it could be some sort of moral panic that no one's actually doing this. The, the news articles could be wrong, which has happened in the past. I, I I want to believe that people aren't so stupid that they're like, man, I don't have any meth, but I have all of this wasp, <laughs> all of this wasp spray. Hmm. Like I want to believe people aren't that dumb, but. I don't know. I could be wrong. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story. We're going to hop on back on board the Carpenter Copter. Come on. Get on board. I'm pulling you off the bus. You're like, no, I have to go back in time. I have to go back in time before everything went wrong. And I'm like, get on the get on the Carpenter Copter. Get on the Copter, dude. <laughs> Just can pull you on. You're like, no, my future. They're on the Carpenter Copter. We take off, and we're going back in time. We're flying around now. We're in 1897. We're flying over Kansas. Anyways, we still got the song Downtown stuck in our head as we're landing. And we're going to go to a meeting with a man named Alexander Hamilton. No, not that Alexander Hamilton, not the rapping forefather, but this Alexander Hamilton was a rancher. Kind of a step down. I wonder if he had any cool dance moves. But we do know that he is a member of this club this speaker's club, and he's a rancher, and he has a very famous name. Now, he's at this speaker's club, and we're here listening to him tell this story. Now, he's already told this story all over town. He actually had this story written up as an affidavit with some of his closest friends. One of them was like a a member of law enforcement. One of them was an attorney. One of them was a judge. It was signed by nine people, close friends of his. It was registered with the postmaster in town. Alexander Hamilton swore up and down this story happened, and we're sitting in this meeting as he's retelling the story to us. And Alexander takes a sip of brandy. Alexander, t- did they have Jack Daniels back then? Alexander takes a sip of whiskey. That's better. Sets it down and goes, well, you know, gentlemen, you've all heard the story, but I'm going to tell it again for our new friends who just came through a time portal. I don't know why he sounds like Barack Obama. But anyways, Alexander goes, but here's the story. Here's the story. So, me and my friends were out rustling up some cattle. Wait, no, we're ranchers. We already have cattle, so we don't rustle them up. But it was a dark night. It was 10.30 p.m. I remember that specifically. And, quote, this is one of my favorite quotes from this whole thing, quote, I arose thinking that perhaps my bulldog was performing some of his pranks, but upon going to the door saw to my utter astonishment an airship slowly descending upon my cow lot about 40 rods from my house. Now, there's two important things in there. One, what he's saying is, he heard a bunch of noise in the backyard, or his front yard, or whatever, went outside, and he saw what he described as an airship. And he goes on to describe it as a cigar-shaped vehicle, which is one of the classic shapes of the UFOs. We have the flying saucer, we have the triangle, we have cigar-shaped ships. This one was 300 feet long. Now, he uses the term airship, which makes you think like a dirigible. That was the term back then for UFOs, or would be a term for UFOs, an airship. So he walks outside. To his utter astonishment, he sees a 300-foot-long cigar-shaped vehicle floating over his ranch, and he describes it as having a dark reddish color. That's the first important thing to take from that quote. But I also (laughs) like the fact 
that he heard a bunch of noise outside as cattle were running around. And he said he thought that perhaps my bulldog was performing some of his pranks. Who is, does he have an animated bulldog? Does he have that little bulldog from those Hanna-Barbera cartoons? It's like lighting firecrackers and throwing going <laughs> and blowing up cows and stuff like that. He's like replacing their water with oil. I guess those aren't pranks. Those are more like murderous acts. I think those are more like animal cruelty. But the idea that he goes, man, my cows are freaking out. May Oh, it's just a bulldog performing some of his pranks. That might be a translation error, even though both are written in English. Maybe pranks meant something different back then. Although I like the idea of the, of a bulldog in this story stalking around Alexander, who's basically, he looks like a 2D drawing going, <laughs> But more importantly for this story, he goes on and he goes, Now I looked up into the sky. Night was all over the place. It was black. And I saw this airship. And oddly enough, my voice has changed. But in one of the meetings, like, that is weird. His voice did change. It's almost like he forgot what voice he was doing before. Alexander's like, ignore that, ignore that. I'm looking up at this airship, and I see a carriage underneath it, underneath the cigar. And it had, quote, six of the strangest beings I ever saw. They were jabbering together, but we could not understand a word they said. We're all like, well, that, okay, okay, Colonel Sanders. That's interesting. It's weird. The aliens might have changed your voice. Now, he says they were jabbering together and they couldn't understand a word they said. They're also, like, up in the air. I don't know how many, like, people are on a hot air balloon. I don't ever look up and go, oh, that's so sweet. He proposed to her. Like, you can't really hear people. Plus, it's windy up there. It's not windy down where you're at, but the words, like, when you talk, all your words get stuck in the wind and they go forward. People can't hear that might be the worst example of physics, but think about it. If someone's standing in a blimp, in a windy, windy blimp, and you're speaking, technically aren't your sound waves being <laughs> washed away with the wind? The sound waves don't come out like a um, like a bubble. They come out right in front of you, and then you're talking into the wind. Maybe the wind doesn't have anything to do with it. Maybe the fact that you're just 100 feet up can make it a little hard for people on the ground to hear. Anyways. So he sees this thing that may or may not have been a blimp, but it was definitely an airship, and it definitely had six of the strangest beans I ever did see. And then a rope falls out of the airship and wraps around the neck of a two-year-old cow. So the cow's like, freaking out. Everyone, Alexander Hamilton's standing there. He's shocked, shocked that someone could lasso that good out of an airship. And then... The rope starts getting pulled up, and the cow's flipping out. The bulldog's all of a sudden going, oh, this prank got a little too real. He runs off. Cow gets lifted up into the ship, and Alexander Hamilton's like, what? And shaking his fist at the airship as it flies away. Now, the next day, th that's an odd enough story. It would basically be one of the first reported cases of a cattle abduction. But the next day, a farmer over, like a rancher a couple ranches over, gets a hold of Alexander. Sends over his cartoon vulture to go and tell Alexander. Alexander and his cartoon dog go over to his buddy's house. And they see the cow's hide, legs, and head just laying in a field. And the rancher knew it was Alexander's because of the brand on the hide. Now, Alexander Hamilton swore up and down the story was true. People were kind of like, well, maybe, but I don't know. He ends up getting making a notarized statement that's signed by all of his buddies saying, this happened. Like, you guys trust me. This happened. I saw this. Da, 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 da. 
Judge signs it. Law enforcement guy signs it. Attorney signs it. Registered with the postmaster. Put into his official record. And everyone's like, he saw the very first cattle mutilation in recorded American history. Cow, he's vi- visually seen a cow getting abducted onto an unidentified flying craft and then dropped off the next day with all of its guts taken out. Now, I talked recently on an episode about this documentary film crew that um, it was a really good episode. It was a really good story, too. The Truth Was Almost Out There, I think, is the name of the episode on Dead Rabbit Radio. There's a documentary crew that got invited by the U.S. military to make a documentary on a UFO landing. And then the last minute, the government said, no, 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 we don't want you to do that. And then the documentary did come out, but it lacked some of the information that the government promised them. In that documentary, it's hosted by Rod Serling. He said, there's a story about a man named Alexander Hamilton who witnessed one of the first cattle mutilation things. I thought, oh, that's I got a bunch of stuff from that. I'm like, that's awesome. So, And that documentary was released in the late 70s. And I researched it, and I found this story. And what, what's, what's interesting, again, is they mentioned this on the documentary. I looked it up. I found out about the story. And when you look into it, though, this is a very controversial UFO encounter. Very, very controversial UFO encounter. Because what happened was it was all in part, people were like, a lot of people thought it was actually Alexander Hamilton, the rapping forefather. But it turns out that it was just this guy, this rancher. But people still go, this is one of the very first cases of cattle mutilation recorded. And we have this signed affidavit from 1897 before the whole UFO flap. We have someone talking about this. Fate Magazine, which covers paranormal stuff. It's basically, it's a monthly magazine. I don't know if they're still monthly. But anyways, it's a magazine that covers like psychic powers and aliens and ghosts and Loch Ness monsters and all sorts of stuff. Basically, it's like a print version of Coast to Coast AM or something like that. They are not known as skeptical by any means. They talk about all sorts of weird stuff that I think is ridiculous. They ran an article about this encounter, and they said, it's fake. The story is not true. And they say, and people got really, really upset. And they go, listen, the story itself was told by a man named Alexander Hamilton. And even they were saying, there may be a hint of truth to it, but here's the problem. Here's the problem with this story. Remember how we landed in that meeting the first time Alexander Hamilton was telling us this story? Alexander Hamilton belonged to a group that had speaking engagements. They'd all get together and they'd talk to each other, just like the Friars Club. But this was called, this group was called the Liars Club, where they would come up with the most ridiculous stories and try to convince other people or tell them to each other and think about, like, what's the most ridiculous story you can come up with? And this was one, and so here's the problem, is that it is most likely, it is most likely that he made this story up for the Liars Club, and everyone who signed the affidavit were also members of the Liars Club. It wasn't like they were walking around town with Liars Club jackets. Nobody knew that these guys were totally into this thing, but he was a member of a group called the Liars Club. Fate Magazine also said in 1943, there was an article in a Kansas newspaper called the Buffalo Enterprise which said that this woman said her mother knew Alexander Hamilton back in the day. You know, they were a little freaky. He's wearing this leather jacket with a cow head on it all of a sudden. He was a man about town wearing this cow skin. She's like, hmm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. And he's like, you're abducting cows? (laughs) She's like, no, that's weird. He tells her the story and she's like, now that quip makes sense, but no. 
maybe me and you could have a little abduction story of her. I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyways, the point is, is that this woman's elderly mother knew Alexander Hamilton back in the day, and he admitted to her that it was a hoax. And this girl, this woman says, oh yeah, my mom used to bang Alexander Hamilton back in the day. Super freaky stuff. He's really into leather. And the reporter's like, this is gross. But... He admitted that it was a hoax. Now, that was an article that was published in 1943. didn't really gain any traction. Bait Magazine dug that article up, also found out this guy was a member of the Liars Club. And they said this story was most likely 100% made up. It was made up as part of the Liars Club tradition, which I believe. And so here's this. This is what I think is most interesting about this story. Is that if we accept that this story is made up, and we'll get into whether or not, we'll get into another side of it in a second, but... If you can imagine this story is made up, which it most likely is, it almost perfectly matches up to what we know of modern cattle mutilations. And so here's the thing. We've seen this before. Somebody tells a lie. You can you see this a lot with mass panics. Someone could be like, someone could start having some sort of uh, mental breakdown and they'd be like, my skin's itching. My skin, I can't stop my skin itching. I can't, oh, my skin's itching everywhere. Is there something in the air? I don't know what it is. I was fine at home. I'm itching, I'm itching. And then other people in the room will kind of start itching too. So people are fairly suggestible as a species. This story was believed to be true, and a lot of people still believe it to be true. It was believed to be true, though it wasn't disputed at all for over 100 years. What are the chances of someone making up a story and then it perfectly matching modern-day alien abductions? It's, it's quite unlikely. What the more possible, what actually the more logical answer is, is this guy made up this story, and then other people, basically, when they came across bizarre encounters in their own farms or ranches, do you remember the story their grandpappy told them about a cow getting pulled up into a UFO, dumped off the next day? And then that rancher tells that story and says, yeah, my cow found, just found his guts hanging out, or all blood was drained from his body, or whatever, whatever the thing is. It is most, cattle mutilation is one of those things that I really have a hard time believing in. I do believe cows die, obviously. They're not immortal beings. And you could come across the cow's body and be like, that's weird. Like, that's not a normal wound for a cow, or that's weird that this, a lot of times, too, they'll say the body was drained of blood. How does the farmer know that there was absolutely no blood in the body? None. Zero. None. Because there's a big difference between being drained of blood, like having blood drain out of you, and all the blood is gone. There's a huge difference between those two. Same thing with 9-11. They'll talk about the buildings fall at uh, free fall speed. But then they'll say it, they fell at near free fall speed. Huge difference between the two things. Sorry to throw the 9-11 thing in there. Huge difference. Free fall would suggest internal detonations Near free fall would suggest structural damage to a building, and the buildings fall at near free fall speed. But to the average person, you just hear near free fall, you think, whoa, that's super fast. That's super fast. Same thing when someone says they're drained of blood, sometimes they'll be specific. When someone says drained of blood, you would assume there's no blood left in the body. Sometimes they'll use, they'll say there was no blood left in the body with these cattle mutilations. But how does Joe Hick Farmer? No, there's no blood. Does he do the dissection there himself? And if you tell me they're sending these things off to labs to be tested on, like to and, and, and take him to a cow coroner and he's like, yep, there's absolutely no blood in this cow's body. I don't believe that for a second. I think what happens, these cows are dying. 
for whatever reason, natural causes, heart attacks, poor diet, whatever it is, broken heart, couldn't catch the bus. It makes far more sense there is a natural cause to it than, than to think to logically think about this. An alien craft appears over a farm, abducts a cow using technology. This was rope-level technology. This was some great rope-level technology. Because he wasn't thinking tractor beams. That was way too sci-fi to even imagine back then. But, and again, that's such a bizarre detail that that matches up to the stories we hear today. But tell me what's more logical. A cow dies of natural death and it has some weird um, predator wounds on it. Eyeballs are missing, tongue are missing, there's some blood missing. Or an alien ship showing up, a vehicle that we don't understand shows up, abducts a cow using technology we would consider as magic. And then drops the cow back off within a range you can find it? It doesn't, that makes no sense at all. Why would a UFO abduct a cow, do medical experiments, and then just throw them out the, hell, out the UFO near you? Why don't they just, why isn't the ocean, why isn't the Mariana, what is it, Marineris? No, the Mariana, why isn't that deep trench in the ocean full of cows? Because that's what you, that's what someone would do if, if you go and you kidnap a cat to do medical experiments and on, you don't then throw the cat back on the street to be found unless you want it to get caught. But see, think of this is, uh, this is the extrapolation of that. You can't have a story of cattle mutilation if you don't find the cows. It doesn't work. So logically, the aliens would be abducting the cows and either incinerating them, destroying all evidence that they are ever taken, or dropping them off in a location that no one would ever find them, i.e. two-thirds of the planet known as the ocean. But that doesn't work for the myth of cattle mutilations. You have to have the cattle be found. And you have to have it be found by someone who goes, that's weird, that cow went missing. Or, that's my cow. It can't just be a cow in the middle of the forest. That would be weird if you were walking through Yellowstone and there was just a, a cow with drained of blood. If there was just a cow, in the, a living cow in the forest, that would be weird. So I think that this story really shows that, to me at least, I, I mean, I went into it thinking, oh, this is interesting, but once I found out this was fake, I go, this is just more proof that all cattle mutilation stories are fake. And I think they, they were all based off this original lie. This guy told a story that he thought was funny, and it ended up creating a worldwide phenomenon, just like Flat Earth. Just like Flat Earth. Because to a normal person, the idea of aliens abducting cows and then discarding their remains near where the body was taken is ludicrous. Just like to a normal person, the idea of a flat earth is ludicrous. But cattle mutilations are so widely known now as like a quote-unquote legitimate thing that I think this bodes, I think this shows what's going to happen with flat earth. Flat earth is just going to keep growing and growing and growing and growing. Flat earth, I really do believe was a either a meme like the new resurgence of flat earth was either a meme or some sort of psyop some sort of government psychological operation to see how stupid people could be and it's gotten out of hand i think it's one of those two things i think it's like my little pony wasn't a thing until some people decided to meme it into being a thing and then it became this phenomenon for like four years i think that's flat earth and i think that's cattle mutilations too i think this guy made this story up and it got out of control. And people actually believe it's a legit thing. They find a they find a dead cow. Its nose and tongue are eaten out. It has less blood in it than when it was alive. Shocker, I know. But, all that being said, there is the slight chance, the slight, slight chance, that Alexander was telling the truth. 
But the problem is, is that this is a real-life version of The Boy Who Cried Wolf. If you belong to a group called The Liars Club, and you see something fantastic, no one's going to believe you. He may have had that affidavit written because he knew people wouldn't believe him. He had to go that extra step to be like, I swear on my lives, gentlemen. I swear on my lives this happened. And everyone's just kind of like, okay, Alexander, you know, last time you tricked us, your dog was pulling pranks. It's terrible. All my cows are dead. He's throwing fireworks at him. He's like, I know, I know. And I punished good old Rufus. I punished him. But I threw some, threw some turpentine on him. He doesn't exist no more. But here's the thing. I, this is true, gentlemen. This is true. And everyone just kind of rolls their eyes. Now, there is a chance that, yes, this really did happen to him. But the reason we just have to look at his past and go, he lied. He lied as a hobby. Why should we believe this one? And if that's the case, if that's the case, the fact that the very first cattle mutilation in the United States is tied to a known fabulist, fabulous fabulist, does discredit the whole thing. It really does. I just don't believe in cattle mutilations other than any sort of human involvement. I just have never bought into the idea of aliens abducting cattle and then discarding the bodies. I don't have a problem with the idea of aliens or aliens abducting people or aliens abducting cattle. It's just the whole phenomenon of them them dropping them off with their guts ripped down. Something. I think that's totally ridiculous. I think people are finding weird things and trying to figure out a way to explain them. But you have to wonder, if this story was true, if this story was true, Alexander Hamilton wakes up that night and he hears his dog pulling pranks. And as he's throwing on his pajamas and getting his shotgun, he walks out into his yard. And there he sees that giant cigar-shaped craft. That rope curl out of the ship and wrap around that cow's neck. And it begins to get lifted up into the sky. You have to wonder, Alexander Hamilton must have been thinking. If this story was true, Alexander Hamilton must have been thinking two things. One, This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And two, no no one is going to believe me that this is true. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.